Christian series, the series that we've been in through the book of Galatians for the last nine weeks. It's been a hot minute, right? Uh, and we've been looking at what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it really mean to be a Christ follower? Because there's lots of opinions about what it means to be a Christian, what, what it means or what it doesn't mean, um, or what makes you more Christian or less Christian than someone else. So the thing is, um, this is a cool thing. Uh, the answer about that has already been written down. Right? It was written a long time ago because this issue that we feel like we experience today isn't a new issue. Right? When, when it seems like there's some people that say you have to do all these things to be a good Christian, and then other people going like, I don't know if I totally buy that. Right? Or, or maybe one group of people making people feel another group of people feel lesser. Um, for either one reason or another. That's been going on for a long time. And so that's why we've been walking through the book of Galatians, uh, because people are addicted to doing something to earn their salvation, addicted to doing something to prove that we belong. And, and we've been in this series for a minute. If you've, if you've missed some, you can catch up on our web, website, wellspringpensacola.com, just click on the sermons tab, and we have all the ones from this series listed there so you can catch up. But if you have your Bible... And I hope you do. Go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter number 5. You're actually not going to have it on the screen this week. Um, so Galatians chapter number 5, you're going to have to pull out your phone. Um, so try not to text to get on Instagram. Um, or you might even have a paper copy. Shout out. Does anybody have a paper copy? Anybody? Anybody? Hey! Hey, there we go. Guys, it's okay to bring a Bible. It's a good thing, right? So we believe it. So it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's written here. Mine is also a paper copy. Um, it's here. All right, so Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 1. I'm reading out of the uh, NIV if you're following along on your phone. It says this. Um, Paul is talking. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I'm going to stop there. Remember, he said earlier in this series, we talked about freedom, and Christ followers are marked by freedom. That's what we said. If, if you're a Christ follower, what that means is that a Christ follower is marked by freedom, but it takes courage and conviction to stay free. And, and when we say freedom, I mean real freedom, being free from performance and perfection, being free from opinions and validation, being free from sin and shame. That type of God-given freedom is the most precious thing that you and I can possess as Christ followers. And it, the thing about it is, is that if that's the most precious thing that we possess as Christ followers, it also heartbreakingly tends to be one of the things that we trade the fastest, that we can be willing to trade so quickly and oftentimes to the lowest bitter asset. And Paul is encouraging us that it's the freedom that Christ has set us free. And the invitation in that verse, verse number one, is to stand firm, right? To stand firm. Now, it's Father's Day, right? So on Father's Day, you're supposed to yell at all the men. That's what you're supposed to do. When you go to seminary, that's what they teach you. On Father's Day, yell at men, make them feel bad, that kind of thing. So uh, just a word um, about uh, two men on Father's Day in the room. When he talks about standing firm, standing firm isn't being overbearing or being obnoxious or being a jerk, right? That's a cheap and empty substitute for the strength that it takes to stand firm. 
raising your voice, right, raising the volume of your voice, you have to do that when you feel like there's no strength in your presence. Right, right. You have to use words to wound and, wound and to cut people when you feel like there's no strength in your presence. And, and, and here, let me, when it comes to standing firm, when it comes to being strong, I want to encourage you, you are only as strong as you are free. That's where strength comes from. You are only as strong as you are free, enjoying the freedom that we have in Christ. It's interesting um, that Paul says in this verse, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Right? When we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the gospel, we, we talk about how the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Right? And Paul's been really, um, really aggressive about how the gospel is only Jesus. Right? There's no works involved in this. But it's really interesting when he says in this phrase, hey, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I want you to imagine in your mind seeing someone set free for the very first time, free from slavery. Chains are broken and released after years of bondage, right? Someone, this man or this woman, whoever you're imagining in your head, they hear for the very first time, you are a free man. You are a free woman, right? And after weeping and rejoicing and seeing their family for the first time and celebrating, imagine in your mind that person after experiencing all that, just turning and walking right back and putting on the same old shackles that they had before, stepping into the same old maybe prison cell that they were before, right? You, you would plead with them if you saw this person do that. You would plead with them, stop, don't do that. Like, stop, don't, don't do that. You don't understand what you're doing. You don't see the life that is out there for you to live. What I just described, it happens all the time spiritually. It happens all the time, spiritually. People trade freedom for something that just feels familiar. But people are so eager to trade their freedom for something that feels familiar. And that familiar feeling, a lot of times, is the shackles or the chains that bind us and keep us from being free. And so what's the lesson in this first verse that Paul is trying to teach us? It's that one, Christ sets you free. Nothing else, no one else. Christ sets you free. But... You choose. You choose if you're going to stay that way. The choice is yours if you are going to stay free or not. Verse number two, Paul says, "Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let if you let yourselves be circumcised, okay. So if you haven't been following us along, you're like, whoa. Well, that word out of left field, right? So that's the big issue. That's the big issue that was going on." Uh, in uh, these churches in Galatia, right? You had all these people that are coming from Jewish backgrounds, and you had all these other Gentile um, people that are making their way to Jesus, and all these people that uh, came from these Jewish backgrounds that were familiar with the law said, hey, that's cool, you love Jesus, but you have to keep the law. And the main thing that they wanted to make sure was kept was circumcision. And I've, I've said before, like, man, if you want to make the gospel really unattractive to people, these guys were, like, killing it, doing a great job, Right? And so this was the big issue that was of this time that was going on. And he says, hey, listen, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Meaning, if, if you allow this one thing to be the thing that you think makes you righteous, that declares you righteous, then Christ will be of no value to you at all. 
Verse 3, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Paul says, you want to obey that one part? Fine, you have to obey every bit of it. Right? Good luck. And then verse 4, he says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Listen to me. Hear me on this. This is the reason. This is the reason people who are Christ followers, and, and maybe you can identify with this, uh, about what I'm about to say. This is the reason someone can claim to be a Christ follower, but behave or relate or live in a way as if Christ is completely meaningless to them. Like, do, do, do you understand what I'm talking about? You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not talking about someone who says, like, oh, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little sometimes, right? Like, like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone, I'm talking about if you make decisions, the decisions you make, uh, how and what guides you through life, who you are becoming, and, and what the future you see yourself, what is the future you see for yourself. If all of that is just compartmentalized, and then you sprinkle Jesus as an afterthought on all that, Paul is saying that is not what a Christ follower is. Like, that is not a Christ follower. And Paul uses the strongest possible language when he says, if you live like that, he says, if, if you live that type of life, you're alienating yourself from Christ. You're separating yourself from Christ. He says, you've fallen away from grace. And the cause of it, I don't need the emotional piece of it, so... It's like, oh man, here we are. He's pulling the net in early. It does emotional keys. Not yet. Wait for the signal. The signal is when I lift my leg like this guy. Alright, look at that. He's using really strong language. He's saying, hey, listen, you're separating yourself from Christ. You're alienating yourself from the gospel. Right? And the reason for that is, is because somewhere along the line, People seek to justify themselves. People seek to declare themselves righteous. If I do this thing, I get to declare myself righteous over another person. You choose slavery instead of sonship. And this is the reason why Paul is so serious about this. The reason why Paul harps on it over and over and over again. We're in chapter number 5 in Galatians. And, and if you've been hanging out with us, he uses a lot of the same language. He's been hitting the nail on the head over and over and over and over again, saying, you are bringing yourself under bondage. This is a serious thing. This is the reason why people separate themselves from Christ, is because they choose to declare themselves righteous. Right? And, and it's easy to fall into it. But like, the reason why he warns over and over again isn't because, like, oh, watch out. It happens like it's happened one time I've heard about it. But it's easy for us to fall into this line of thinking that I am going to declare my own self righteous because of what I do or because of what I say. That's the reason why he says, hey, listen, you have to stand firm in this. Verse number five. He says, for though, uh, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Listen, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 5 and verse 6. And these are the heaviest verses. These are some of the most important verses in all of the book of Galatians. 
here. This is enormous to grasp. He said, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the righteousness that we hope for. That, that's what we're waiting. We're not declaring ourselves righteous. We're waiting. We're eagerly waiting the righteousness that we hope for because we put our faith in Christ. Not because we work hard. Not because uh, we get it right all the time. Not because people say that we're good. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing that counts. That's the only thing that matters. So, so you might hear that and you say, well, how do I know if I have faith? How, how do I know if I'm believing? How do I know if I have enough faith? How do I know if I have enough belief? I, I understand those questions. But man, I want to I help you think of it. Just, those are entirely the wrong questions. It's not, oh, how much faith can I muster? How much belief do I have in comparison to another person? A question that you should ask yourself is how much selfless love Am I expressing for God and for other people? That, that's the measure. How much selfless love am I expressing for God and to other people? So I want to encourage you to throw out your checklist. Whatever like checklist was ingrained into your mind when you were uh, being drugged to church somewhere as a kid or whatever, like throw out your checklist. Throw it away. Throw away comparing yourselves to others who you think are doing better or you're, or doing worse than you. Right? Throw all that away. Because here is a simple and profound truth in the book of Galatians that Paul is trying to relate the entire time. That the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Stop trying to declare yourself righteous and allow the faith that Jesus is who he said he is and he is your righteousness. Allow that faith and belief to express itself in your life through love, through genuine love. So what does that look like? Paul gives us a really good example here in verse number seven. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. He's talking about Jesus. Verse number 9, he quotes an Old Testament scripture. He says, A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And then he says this in verse number 12. He says, As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> okay, so like if you're like, I'm not following, I don't know what that means. That's the funniest verse in the whole Bible right there. Like Paul's funny. Like Paul's a, Paul's a funny guy. Right? He's bringing the intensity that Asha talked about last week a little bit. In verse 12, um, it, to me, I think it's the funniest thing. He's saying um, to the guys who are telling you that you need to be circumcised, right? The guys who are saying you just need to snip the tip. That's all you got to do. And then you're on the team. To those guys, he's saying, I, I wish that they would go all the way with it, right? I wish that they would emasculate themselves, right? So if, if you've ever heard someone say, the Bible's just not interesting. I just don't like it. Or if you've ever said that, like, keep reading, man. Like, 
there's, there's some pretty interesting stuff in here. But this is pretty heavy language that Paul is saying. But in verse 7 and 8 is where I really wanted to get us to today, right? Where Paul says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on that? You were running so well. Another translation says, who hindered you? Who distracted you? Who is tripping you up and stopping you from obeying the truth? And he says, that kind of persuasion, that kind of coaching isn't Jesus. Now, as, as I was doing some prep, like I, I look all over the place for, for prep, um, and I actually wasn't um, doing prep. I was just, you guys ever like doom scroll on Instagram, like Instagram reels or anything like that? That's not relatable at all to anyone in here, right? Um, so I, I was sitting there and I was just kind of flipping through Instagram, letting my brain kind of just turn to mush for a second. And, and I saw something that I thought was really interesting and it caught my attention. Um, and, and it's really relatable to this particular passage. So um, I, I started to dig in and, and I learned about this guy named David Brown. Um, David Brown um, was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease at 15 months old. Um, Kawasaki disease is kind of terrifying because no one knows what causes it. Um, there's no, like, genetic precursor or anything like that. It's just a terrible fever that happens. And, and he was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease at 15 months old. Um, and uh, he had lost all of his vision um, in one eye by the time he was three years old. Um, and, and by the time he was six, um, David, uh, his family had to move town um, so he could attend a school for the blind. Um, and, and his mother, Francine, um, she believed in him. She really believed in her son, David. She told, she, she told David that he was going to be strong, that he was strong, um, that he was capable. She taught David to be independent. Um, she, she would always tell him, no pouting. We're not pouting. We're not doing this. Like, that's, that's not what we're going to do. You're strong, and you can do this. Um, and she would always encourage him. She wouldn't move the furniture around in the house. She would say, you're going to feel your way around, and you're going to figure this out because you can do it. Um, and so she would always encourage him. And it turned out um, David was an athlete. He's a pretty athletic guy. Particularly, he was a runner. Um, and as he grew, his desire to compete grew bigger and bigger. Uh, and, and he got into racing and into running. Um, and, and so since he was blind, um, he would run all these races. Uh, and in, in the races, how they would do it is he would have to hold a guide wire because he couldn't see where he was going. So he would hold this guide wire and they would run races. And you could imagine the limitations that you would have on yourself if you couldn't see and all you had was this wire that you were holding in the moment and that's what you had to trust and how you had to go. Most That has a lot of limitations. The biggest limitation it has on you is speed. You can't run that fast when all you have is this guide wire, right? But the thing about David uh, is that he was winning. He kept on winning and kept on winning and kept on winning. And because of his potential and his ability, David was invited to train with the U.S. Uh, Paralympic team, specifically for the 100-meter race. Um, and they wanted him to compete in what was called uh, the T11 class, where an athlete is paired not with a, a guide wire, but an athlete is paired with a guide runner, right? It's completely different. Um, and, and the biggest difference between holding on to a guide wire and, ha and running with a guide runner is that it is immensely faster. It is so much faster. Instead of just running along, you are in a dead sprint. 
right? And, and, and it, it, it takes an enormous amount of work, an enormous amount of discipline to be synchronized uh, with every movement of your guide runner. Um, but David had one really big problem, besides being blind. Um, he couldn't run straight. That was his thing. He had run on a guide wire forever, and so he would always pull on the guide wire. And so he had a really difficult time running in a straight line. Um, he was strong and he was fast, but that doesn't really help you. That doesn't really matter if you can't run in a straight line when you're in a 100-meter race because you just run as fast as you can in this one straight line. Um, and, but he struggled through a bunch of different qualifying events. But David Brown, um, even though he was winning, he, he eventually was partnered um, with a guide runner by the name of Jerome Avery. So you had David Brown and Jerome Avery. They called themselves Team Bravery. That's what they called it. I saw that and I was like, I want to stop. You know, I think that's pretty cool. But the Team Bravery is what they called themselves. But how a guide runner works is the two are tied together. Right? But typically they're tied together just with two laces around their fingers. Right? Like I doubt Craig and I could walk around this room with our, with our fingers tied together with two laces. These guys are sprinting and running as fast as they possibly can, and they're just tied together by a couple of shoelaces on their fingers, right? It is an insane amount of work. It is extremely difficult. It takes an insane amount of trust from both people because one misstep, just one misstep, one moment where you're out of sync, and it'll ruin the entire race for you, whether it's you or your guide runner. Just one moment can ruin the race. You might even fall down, right? So, so j- just in your head to know when you're thinking about a runner and a guide runner, Jerome was more than just like a handholder during the race. What a guide runner does is before the race, as you're walking out there into the arena, and you can imagine if you're blind, a lot of your other senses are heightened like hearing. And so as you walk into an arena and you hear the announcements and you hear all the cheering and things like that, your anxiety can get up really high. And so part of Jerome's job is to keep David's anxiety down and say, hey, we're here to run. That's why we're here. We're here to run. And so he takes them to um, the, the starting block, keeping them focused, leading them there. And then during the race, um, he doesn't just make sure that he stays in his lane. That's not just the guide runner's job. Jerome's job is also to remind David and help David to push the pace to go faster and faster and faster. And then after the race, Jerome is telling David the results and leading him on to the next event. There's a lot of things, that, a lot of responsibilities that a guide runner has. And so, if you're David, there's no time for you to listen to the crowd. Jerome says, hey, David, you're here to run. This is why you're here. There's no time for you to think about who's doing better than you or who you're doing better than. You're here to run. That was, that was Jerome's message over and over and over again. You're here to run. There's only one voice that David is listening to. There's only one person that David is tied to. And so I found this video, and I, I, I wanted to show you. I wanted you to see what it looked like when David and Jerome won the 100-meter race, and they set the world record to become the, for David to become the fastest blind runner uh, in history. You guys check out this video. I am
running as he's running that race. But did you did you notice the run? His guy running. Did you did you see him as they were running together? Could you read his lips? What, what was he saying? You're not going fast enough. You're going to lose this race. This guy's in front of you. Do better. This guy behind you, he's catching up. You stink at this. You're no good. Is, is that what Jerome was saying to him? Did you read his lips? No. That's not what Jerome was saying to David at all. As David and Jerome took off, what Jerome said was, go. Run, David. Run, David. Go. Run, David. You can do this. He, had, he didn't have any time. He couldn't focus on what was going on around him. He couldn't focus on who was doing better than him or who was doing worse than him. He, all, he, all that he could focus on, you even saw him. He was leaning in to Jerome as they were running together. And Jerome was saying, run, David. Go. Run, David. You can do this. Go. Go. And at the end of it, did you see what he did? He raised his hand in victory before David even knew what was going on, before David even realized that they had finished in first place and he set the world record. Jerome lifted his hand and he told David, we did it. We did it. I, listen, I have never seen a better example of what your race is like. I have never seen a better example of what a Christ follower looks like. Man, I want to encourage you, do not get distracted by the crowd. Whatever's going on around you, do not allow that to distract you. Your competition. Don't be anxious about your competition. Don't be convinced that you're not going to perform well. Listen, you're here to run. That's why you're here. You're here to run. You're tied to your guide runner, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that next week. But you're tied to your guide runner. You're here to run. Stay in sync with Him. Don't focus on who's doing better than you. Don't focus on who you think you're doing better than. You're here to run. That's why you're here. Stay in sync with your guide runner and listen to him. Listen for his voice. And you say, I don't know. How do I, how do I tell what his voice sounds like? It sounds like this. Go. Go, David. Go, David. Go, David. You can do this. You can do this. Go, David. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like God Almighty calling you, saying, go, keep going, don't stop. Don't listen to the crowd. Don't look at what's going on behind you. Don't focus on what's going on behind you. Just run. Just listen to me. Lean into me. Be in sync with me. And when you cross the finish line one day, what it's like being a Christ follower is when you cross the finish line one day before you even realize what's going on, your guide runner is going to be there with his arms up. That's what being a Christ follower is. And so what, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? It's just like that. That's what love looks like. That's what it looks like. That's what God has in mind for you. That's what God has in mind for you. To rescue you. To make you a son. To make you free. To love you forever. And just one last verse that's going to comes up. Verse number 13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is filled, or is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Listen, God's plan for you is love. 
to love one another, to cheer one another on in the same way that your guideline cheers you on, is cheering you on. If there's more of the other voices, that's what love looks like. That's what we say to each other. Don't quit. Don't quit. We are here to love. Keep going. This is the beautiful thing about being part of the Jesus family, that we celebrate each other. When we cross the finish line, when we do well, we celebrate one another. When one of us falls down, we're there to pick each other up, to dust each other off, and pick up. Keep going. We're here to run. That's it. That's what being a Christ follower is. And we can run like that because of the freedom we have in Christ. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't, I don't know where you're at in the room. I don't know. And maybe you need to follow Christ for the first time. You've been maybe familiar with the church or familiar with the gospel, familiar with Jesus, but you don't have a real relationship with him. And there is an incredible love there that He wants to give you, that He wants to live through you. All you have to do is turn from your own way, turn from your sin, and turn to Jesus. He's here to rescue you, redeem you, and give you life and set you free. If you're a Christ follower and you're here in the room, you are here to run. I don't want to get to the end of my life and have somebody say, like Paul said, you were running so well. I don't want to live that type of life. I want to get free. And I want to encourage you if you're a Christ follower, do not allow yourself to be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. Feel familiar, but it's changed. It's bondage. Whether it's trying to declare yourself righteous, or whether it's just sin and pleasure, it's all that comes to an end. Because like the race we just walked a second ago, there's a finish line. It's out there. And when I crossed it, I want to say, Well done. Oh, my God, you know, with his arms Jesus, thank you for loving us. And sometimes I can't see what's around me. I can get distracted. And I get slipped up and fall down. But you said that you would never leave me or to remind each and every one of us today that we're here to learn and to be tied to you. And so in your patience and in your goodness and in your love, and I pray that you will help us to learn to win, to be in sync with you 
eliminate the distractions, eliminate the worry, the doubt, the fear. In the same way, I thought David leaning into Jerome. God, help me do that. love you. We worship you because you are good and you are wise and you are loving and you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You guys stay in worship with us.